It's been a testing year for small and medium cap companies, with many down heavily on the markets. Some of the losses are clearly justified, but it may well be possible in the end to pick up some long-term opportunities for when the market recovers. But why have small and mid-sized companies found the going particularly tough over their blue-chip counterparts? Well, joining us now is Andrew Pepper. He's head of restructuring at Resolve, specialising in restructuring and turnaround for distressed businesses. Andrew, welcome. Thank you very much. This is a fascinating area, and we don't get to discuss it very much. We talk a lot about listed companies, yeah. um, but your relationship seems to be a sort of a, a, a pre-bankruptcy um, situation. Explain more about what you do. So I work in the area which is near corporate finance, but above liquidations and failure. So my aim is to stop companies going into administration. My aim is to save those businesses, help restructure those businesses, and turn them back onto a good balance sheet, a good P&L, a good cash flow. The, the, the idea is to save those businesses. Yeah. So um, your objective is obviously to get the business back up and running. Yeah. And if it's listed, it would continue to list through that? Exactly. It, it, ultimately, if I do my job well, no one will know I'm there. Mm-hmm. So on a listed business, we'll actually be working with the directors and helping them and helping them turn around their business, helping them make some of the hard decisions, but ultimately trying to help the finance, help the way their operations, help their margin, help them improve the way they look at the business. On the non-listed businesses, we're very much hands in helping the board. We're turning around the business. We're probably more visual because sometimes if we get it announced, that would be difficult for the share price. So ultimately, sometimes we're working behind the scenes insofar as we're able just to help the board understand and improve. Mm. As I said at the top, it's been a bit of a difficult year. I think the smaller the company, the yeah. more difficult it's been. And I think that's represented by the losses that we've seen on the on, on the on the AIM markets, the smaller end of the market. Um, what's happened? Why has this come about? Um, I think it's two things. The, the, the smaller market has less access to money. So if you're a very large PLC, you've got access to billions of pounds worth of money sloshing around the world, and you can go and find that, as long as, long as you have a good sell, a good story. If you're a small aimlessly business, I think you've got a, a weaker ability to raise money. You've got to have something sexy about you. You've got to have something that works that moment. Why would someone put in X million pounds into a small business that has real problems? It's not a big enough bet. So the volume of potential investors is less. If there's less investors, there's less chance of getting that money. And then looking at non-listed businesses, you're looking at private cap businesses. These are family funds that have to invest. Are those family funds there and willing and able to give you that money? It's less so than, say, three or four years ago. So therefore, you've got this problem that if you're small, even if you've got a great business, even if you've turned around your business, is there capital there ready to help you? And the idea is no, not at the moment. Not as much as it was three or four years ago. Okay, right. in that case, what has changed in those three or four years? Yes, we know interest rates have gone up. Yes, we know that it's a little bit more difficult to raise money. But fundamentally, what can you say that gives people the further understanding about what's happening? I think it does depend on the sector. So, for example, if you're working in the tech sector, um, it was a bit of the Wild West a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You could raise money on opening a brown paper bag, to be honest. There was lots of deals out there which everyone said, this should work, but maybe it didn't work. Now... The KPIs, the requirements that directors want to give and borrow and lenders want to give, want to uh, as, want to attach to, mm-hmm. um, have changed remarkably. Two or three years ago, everyone was saying, "Spend your money, grow the business." I don't care about profit. I want you to spend the money, grow the business. We will be selling this business based on some form of volume, some form of size. Now you talk to borrowers; they're saying. 
we've gone to the market, everyone wants us to make a profit. Everyone wants our cash burn to be reduced. They want us to be more rational. The trouble is, three years ago, if you tried to raise money as a board of an aimless business or a small board of a directors, you'd have problems because who would be exciting? Who would, who would give you five or 10 million if you said, I'm going to raise the money and I'm going to do 10% increase in value? No one would lend you that money. So in one sense, the directors three or four years ago faced with the problem that if the market was saying you must raise the money in a certain way, they had to, otherwise they wouldn't raise. Now, three years later, they go to the market and say, I've done everything you wanted me to do. And then they go, ah, but we don't want you to burn the money. We want you to grow the margin. We want net profit. We want you to think about things. And then suddenly you have an issue. The company has to pivot. So when it was growing, it might have X number of business development. It might have X number of salespeople and X number of IT people building out the profitability, building out the system. Now you say, I've got a system that works. Do I want to keep on spending millions of pounds on making it slightly better? Or do I want to leverage it, to exploit it, to sell it? And the trouble is you then have to pivot your business. Mm -hmm. And that's a tricky thing for many directors. So do you get involved in that process? At what point do you get involved actually with a company before you answer that other question? Because it seems to me that by the time you get involved, there's a problem. Yes. Um, do you go in and try and solve that problem to get the business up and running again? Or uh, what, what's, the, what's the situation? Are you qualified to give new KPIs? Do you, do you give a new direction for the company? Is that what you're asking? So depending on the size of the business, if you're looking at a business which is turning over X hundreds of millions of pounds mm -hmm. and it has a lot of um, lenders involved with it, an FD would want to think about refinancing them 12 to 18 months yeah. prior as the business is a smaller business, the FD is looking to refinance probably six to 12 months. So therefore the FD is looking at a roadmap and saying to himself, do I have a problem in six to 12 months or 12 to 18 months? Mm -hmm. Bigger the business, the more future they've got to think about. So when we look at these businesses, we're often given a call by a corporate finance outfit or a firm of lawyers saying, we think our client has an issue. It's not the fact that they're insolvent, it's the fact that maybe they were making 10 million profit a year and now they're making five, but the roadmap says you're probably gonna make three the following year. So if the decline is happening, it's not fatal, but if the decline is happening, we get involved to say, how do we arrest that decline? What do we can we do today to help margins improve the business? Give the board of directors a, a wider view on life. How can we raise more money? How can we pivot them in a way that's safe, but ultimately will affect their chances of going up again? So therefore, when you ask, what point do I get involved? I don't get involved when we're about to fail because that's too late. Mm -hmm. I've got to go up this, it's called a, a, a cycle of decline. So at the top, you're selling your business, you're raising money with corporate finances. At the bottom, you're liquidating. Somewhere in between is a variability. I try and move up towards corporate finance because if I leave it too late and come down to work in yeah. the insolvency arena, yeah. what can you do? Yeah. You're about to say you've got no money, you've got to pay all the employees next week. With the, with the best will in the world, how can you transform a business? Mm. So acting early is so important. How, how much more difficult is the situation now because of rising interest rates? Was it rising interest rates that really began this process of, of issue? Um, I, I think interest rates are really, really important. But if your business has suddenly cost an extra £50,000 in interest rates, if your business can't weather £50,000 of extra cost, then perhaps your business philosophy was wrong. 
Because if a business survives or fails on £50,000 or £100,000, maybe you've got your margins wrong, maybe you've got your thought process wrong. So I think interest shouldn't kill a business, but it's another stage of its problem. So it's, it's rarely interest rates that kill a business. It's interest plus the market's disappeared, the sales have dropped, the cost of wages have gone up by X, the cost of energy have gone up. So if you think about this five or six key dynamics in small to medium-sized businesses, interest rates is but one area. There could be wage increase, raw material increase, reduction in the, in the margin because you're having a problem selling your goods to someone. Mm. So you've got to add up all five of those dynamics and then a, and it's a bit like a Venn diagram. If they all touch on the same month, you're in trouble. The trick is, can you keep those five silos independent and under control? And that's where I come in as well, trying to work out how can we re-establish interest rates? Sometimes a business might have a holiday, an interest rate holiday, because we go to the lender and say, if you carry on doing this, the business will fail. If you allow the company a holiday on its interest, we think we can get a roadmap, a cash runway, which says we've got an extra three months to sort out the problem. But then the interest is not the only thing. You've got to look at wages. You've got to look at raw materials. And dependent on the business, some of those are bigger. For example, nursing home business. Mm -hmm. The biggest issue you've got there is wages. So if ultimately your agency staff goes up by X percent, then ultimately that's such a big percentage of your free cash flow. It's not the interest rate will kill you. It's the fact that your wages have doubled. And if ultimately your customer is a council, and the council are only accepting a 5% increase in their sales, in their cost per resident, but your wages, which are 40% of your cost, have doubled. How does a director manage the two? Mm. And whether you're an aimlessed business or a larger private business, you've still got the same issue. Mm. Um, of course, in amongst those, you, you mentioned wages, uh, and I guess the HMRC is owed a fair bit of money from these yep. companies that potentially ultimately may go to the wall. How does, uh, what happens with the, with the tax men is that when you get instructed, do you find the, the, the shadow of HMRC over your operations? I think it depends. Um, HMRC is a creditor. On the whole, they try and help businesses survive. They want to help them survive because ultimately it's in their interest because one, they're owed a lot of money. So the best chance of them getting their money back is some form of agreement. Two, they want five, 10, 20 years of that company giving them tax credit, tax, tax money. Mm. So their aim is to, for survival. That said, if you don't go to the HMRC with a story, with a plan, and just say you bury your head, they will get annoyed. And at some point they get so annoyed, they go from happy, sort of helpful, to so angry they'll send in an enforcement officer, mm. they'll wind up the business because they believe you're not talking to them. So my advice to anyone out there who's got a HMRC debt is if you ignore them, all you do is get, they get bigger and bigger, much better to go to them with a story that says, I have a problem. The problem is this. I owe you this money. I can pay you back on part payments, but I can't pay it all back at the same time. I want to, I want to give a sensible plan. They will be sensible. So the trick with HMRC, like many creditors, is to be open, honest, yep. and actually yep. get in there early with your story. Don't allow HMRC to think about your story. Mm -hmm. You don't want them to guess, because their guess is probably you've gone home. You've Good old crisis communication, yeah, exactly. which is exactly what this is, isn't it? Um, look, uh, one, of, one of the things we do here at IG is um, offer content to those that invest in the market. So just a, just a couple of thoughts on what people should be watching out for. First of all, when you're instructed, yeah. is there an RNS sent out? Do we know through some sort of stock market release that X company, X PLC, is involving um, Resolve to, to help with um, issues? 
as you can imagine, if the directors of the company say to the market they've appointed Resolve or appointed PwC or KPMG sure. or, or one of those other firms, then the market has a view. And therefore, usually that's a negative view because mm-hmm. it's saying, oh, there is a problem. So insofar as the company is able to, it probably wouldn't want to recognise the advisor. But there comes a point where the advisor is so important. In order not to create a fake market, the directors have got to talk to their nomad. They've got to come to an agreement saying, what could they say? Sometimes you see market views very one-liner, saying they're taking strategic advice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes they will be much more um, expansive. But the problem you've got, the more you tell a market... If you can't give them the full facts, the more the market forms a view, and that view could be very negative. So what you struggle with is how much do you say, how much can you legitimately say, and how much can you not say? So there's actually that trade-off, and therefore the lawyers will always advise the board on what level of communication they can give. Mm. But often it's under the badge of strategic review. Yeah. So, so what should investors... Uh, as I say, IG has a number of people that are long only in the market. They're investing in small-cap companies. They like small-cap companies. There's opportunities yeah. there. Goodness sake, as I said at the top, there's some wonderful bargains out there. Yeah. But you don't want to get on the wrong side of any deals, and you don't want to be hoodwinked. Uh, so what should people be watching out for in terms of balance sheet, in terms of profit and loss? When a company comes through with on results day... What are the things you think should be top of the list? In my world, cash is king. Mm -hmm. Um, You can have a negative balance sheet. The balance sheet would look pretty awful. But if this cash is being generated and there's some profit being generated and it's being used in a certain way, you might find that that balance sheet is a um, non-commercial way of describing the business. Because when you're experienced at looking at businesses, an asset isn't necessarily cash or a cash-producing thing. So when you look at a business that has a lot of um, goodwill, bought Mm. goodwill, you could argue that that's actually only valuable in certain circumstances. But if the assets are built up majority of debtors, stock, cash, to me, that's a nicer mix of assets than uh, fixed equipment, buildings and or goodwill. So I think how you do your working capital analysis is vital in these days. So if you're investing in a small business, which is going to be thinly marketed, the trick is look at the working capital and see, does it have sufficient working capital to ride out the storm? To me, that's the most important thing. And also, because you're an investor in an aimlessly business, you're a bit part player. You'll never have perfect information. If you're the investor in an off-market company, you could end up owning 20 30%. You could have a seat at the table. You could be understanding what the directors are saying in their boardroom. If it's an aimlessly business, you're going to have third-party evidence. You're going, to be, you're going to be one or two stages away from what's happening. So therefore, it's a very difficult thing to stock pick uh, a restructuring. But the best way to look at it is cash. If you can see a business that's very liquid, they've got the best chance of riding the storm. Mm. What needs to change in terms of the macroeconomics to start to improve the picture for corporates generally, small caps particularly, uh, and the market in which you're involved? What, what do you think is the... I mean, we talked about interest rates, we talked about the attitude of creditors. Uh, and there must be a whole long list of things, I guess, but what would you like to see that is the catalyst that gives you an indication that things are... To me, um, it's like the art market. Um, if you believe you're buying a painting today for half a million and it's going to be worth a million pounds in the future, mm-hmm. you'll buy it. So it's confidence. If the market believes there is a better market next year, mm-hmm. next six months, then they'll invest. If they believe that their market's been turned down, talked down, and there's a negative market, then it's very difficult to get investment. So it's, it's that um, 
It's the sensitivity around the goodwill and confidence. I look at a number of businesses that I personally invested in, and it's all about do I believe that the market they're in, not the whole market, their narrow market, is going to improve? And that, to me, is the most important thing. Mm. Are you allowed to invest in companies you advise? I guess no, not that, not that I advise. But no, my, but, uh, I, yeah. but a conflict of interest. No, it's a fascinating subject. Thank you so much indeed for coming and explaining a bit more about it because it's uh, it's really interesting. Pleasure. Uh, that's Andrew Pepper. He's head of restructuring at Resolve, specialising in restructuring and turnaround for distressed businesses.